Hey, Joshua Segafis here. On this podcast, I teach men and women how to increase their attraction, level up their dating game, and embrace the alpha mentality. If you're sick of a dating or relationship life that sucks, stick around. This is exactly where you want to be. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, Joshua Segafis here. Listen, I just opened up my new mastermind tribe, an exclusive community where alpha-minded men and women can get the individualized coaching and guidance they need to truly level up their dating game and embrace the alpha mentality. Find it at joshuasegafis.com forward slash mastermind tribe or check below. You should find a link in the comments. It's free for the first month. And if you believe in anything I say or talk about, this is the ultimate mastermind tribe for you. Go sign up. I'll see you there and we'll crush it together. Now let's get on to today's episode. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Joshua Segevis here. Welcome back to the Joshua Segevis podcast. This is the podcast show where we talk about how to increase your attraction, level up your dating game, and embrace the alpha mentality. It's Wednesday morning. I'm pumped. I'm up early, getting my work done, writing about some awesome stuff. And I wanted to podcast about this article I found. I was doing some research about dating statistics. And I came across this really, really good article on datingnews.com. Um, it's titled The 21 Most Fascinating Dating Studies for 2022. It was written by Amber Brooks. Now, this article is actually posted in November of 2020. So some of these statistics have been around for just a little bit. However, I went through them and I was reading them and some of them are super interesting. And I just kind of wanted to go through this these statistics, all 21 of them, and then I wanted to kind of, you know, just kind of commentate on them and give you my thoughts. Maybe this could be helpful to understand why some of these things happen and just you can get my alpha mentality take on it. Okay, but before we jump into that, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to remind you that I have a mastermind tribe. I'm really gearing it up, ramping it up for an amazing 2022. You know, if you're wanting to improve your dating life, if you're wanting to level up your attraction, figure out why your dating life isn't just amazing. If you're wanting to troubleshoot it, figure out where you're going wrong. Or if there are other alpha mentality things you want to work on. Like, for example, if you're wanting to be held accountable to fitness, to get in shape. If you want accountability for your business to help you get that money, right? If you need help finding your purpose, these types of things, I can help you with these things. This is what I do, right? Uh, level up your dating game, increase your attraction, embrace the alpha mentality. This is my this is my zone. So please consider signing up for the Mastermind Tribe and making use of that and just helping you to to crush your goals and start living in alpha mentality, having that awesome alpha life because it is awesome. It's glorious. Every day is every day is amazing. Doesn't make it doesn't mean it's perfect but it is amazing. <laughs> it's so much better. My life is so much better now than it was five years ago as a result of the alpha mentality. And I've been through it. I've been through the ringer, man, but I've learned through trial and error and research and, and painstaking uh, soul searching. Some of it maybe so you don't have to, hopefully. You can maybe get to it quicker than I did with a little help. All right, let's jump into this. The 21 Most Fascinating Dating Studies for 2022. All right. And now I'm going to link to this article in the description. Please go through and read it. Give it a share. I think that Amber Brooks did a great job putting these statistics together. This is a great blog post. I really enjoyed it. And so, you know, give her some love. Give her a shout out if you uh, 
you feel like sharing it on social media. All right, let's jump into this. The first one, around 47% of Americans say it's harder to date now. That, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. That doesn't surprise me at all. I don't feel like it's really, it's really newsworthy. I think it is harder to date, but I think it's especially difficult to date for women. I really honestly do. I think men are frustrated, but I think, I think a lot of men don't understand how frustrated women are. That's one thing that I've really noticed in coaching men and women. I've come to find that um, <laughs> as a man, like it's so much easier for me to help a man sort out his dating problems than it is for a woman. And I think that part of that is because it, like women hold the keys to sex and men hold the keys to relationships. And here's the thing. It is not possible for a woman to talk a man into changing his mind if he's not ready to commit, right? But a lot of women, they try to go for men who aren't ready for that commitment. And that's kind of the big issue with women. Women don't have a problem getting sex. They have a problem getting commitment from men. Whereas with men, it's kind of the opposite. Their their struggle is to get to the part where they get sexual access, right? Anyway, it's just an interesting thing that I've noticed. But there's another statistic underlying this that says, 67% of daters in the survey said their dating life wasn't going well. So uh, <laughs> that's that's unfortunate, but it is what it is. All right, statistic number two. Couples who meet online are less likely to divorce. In 2005, the University of Chicago funded a seven-year study on married couples who met online and offline. Marriage breakups were reported among 6% of couples who met online and 7.6% of couples who met offline. Interesting. Researchers also found that marital satisfaction was slightly higher among couples who met online than couples who met offline. Very interesting. I would not have thought that. I wouldn't have thought that. I would have thought it would be the opposite. So there's a little evidence maybe that goes against my my idea that we should kind of <laughs> we we shouldn't use dating apps as much. Maybe that's a little evidence to the contrary. Number three, online dating is now responsible for twenty two percent of weddings. Now that's interesting. It says here that the Not twenty nineteen jewelry and engagement study made headlines by proclaiming that online dating is now the most popular way to meet a spouse. According to the study, about 22% of newly married respondents said they met their partner online. So that's cool. That's actually really cool. Um, and I'm not really surprised by it because that's how a lot of people are dating nowadays. Many, many people are using dating apps. All right, number four. Over half of men say they get too few messages online. So over half of men say they get too few messages. This is not surprising to me. Now listen to number five. One third of women say they get too many messages. See, this is the dating marketplace and this is the thing. See, women, women, it's easy for women to find sexual options, right? Why? Because they're inherently valuable in the sexual marketplace. I.e., if a woman walks into a bar and she's attractive, odds are good that she could you know, basically have her pick of any guy in the bar. If she offered him free sexual access, he would leap at the opportunity. Whereas with men, it's a little different. Man walks into a bar and this full of women, you know, if he's attractive, there may be a handful of women who would jump at the opportunity for free sexual access. And the reason for this is because remember, men hold the keys to relationships. Women hold the keys to sex. As a general rule, men are pursuing sex because 
the value that women bring to the evolutionary paradigm is the fact that they have a uterus and they have the ability to create children. And this is highly valuable to men. And what this translates as is like sexual interest and lust and, you know, men desire the female body and sexual, um, experiences and intimacy with the feminine, right? This is seen as a very like instinctual primal drive for men, right? Now, for women, it's a different challenge. Women, it's easy for them to get sex, men who want to have sex with them, but what's not so easy is finding a man who wants to commit to her and channel his resources to her, but you know, she also wants a high value man. She wants a man who is for all intents and purposes better than she is because women are hypergamous. They made across and up social hierarchies while men mate across and down mostly in response to the female, um, in the female mating strategy, because females being the sexual selectors, um, and selective maters, which is quite unique in the animal kingdom, women being selective maters, they kind of make the rules, right? So men generally respond to the mating strategies of women. Why? Because women have the reproductive capabilities. They have the uterus and the eggs and they carry the child. So, you know, they've got the, the valuable gear. So anyway, that's just to me, these two data points are funny because they just represent exactly that playing out in the dating marketplace. Men get too few messages because there aren't as many women interested in them because men have to prove that they're bringing value to the table, whereas women have value built in. So every guy's messaging every woman, so they get too many messages, right? All right, number six, responsiveness is an attractive quality in online daters. A 2016 social psychology experiment had participants view responsive and unresponsive dating profiles and rank them in terms of desirability. The results were consistent in that a responsive online dating profile is more likely to be rated favorably than an unresponsive one. Well, that that seems pretty that seems pretty common sense. People don't want to talk to someone who's not talking back. If that were true, we'd all just you know, we could all just buy sex dolls instead of trying to find a real partner. But we want engagement. We want to interface with other humans. And and the interfacing that goes on between the masculine and the feminine, there's a lot of complementary benefits that come from it, right? That's why people date and why they want to pair bond, among other reasons. You know, having children is one reason, but there are also powerful social benefits to it that benefit our overall health and wellness. So, this isn't surprising. Number seven, men with cats in their photos are viewed as less desirable. This is actually kind of crazy to me. Um, when viewing a picture of a man alone, 40% of respondents said they'd rather not date him. When the respondents saw the same man with a cat, 45% they wouldn't date him. That's so interesting. And I, I actually... The, I don't know why. I can only speculate. <laughs> I, the only thing I can think of is that maybe, um, maybe women, some women associate cats with like dirty, stinky litter boxes, or maybe man, a man holding a cat makes him look more like a nurturer and less like a conqueror. So maybe, <laughs> maybe if he had a huge like. Maybe if he was riding a lion, it would be different. <laughs> but I'll be really honest. I don't know why that's the case, but it's interesting. Number eight, 
Roughly 53% of Americans say online dating is safe. Wow, that's interesting. On the question of online dating safety, Americans seem to be split down the middle. The Pew Research Center polled U.S. adults in 2019 reported that 53% of Americans agreed that online dating is a very safe or somewhat safe way to meet new people. On the other hand, 46% of Americans said it is somewhat unsafe or very unsafe. It doesn't, in this article, it doesn't differentiate between, you know, the numbers of men and women who said this. I would venture to say that probably more women see it as being unsafe. And that's true. Women bear a much greater risk when it comes to mating than men do. Women are less physically powerful. They're more susceptible to victimization. And also, um, it just... There, there, men have more to gain by victimizing women than women would have to gain by victimizing men. Women don't have to like victimize men necessarily to, you know, to women have all kinds of sexual options. Whereas if men are, you know, rejected enough or something, then they may be more likely to turn aggressive or to think about like sexually harassing a woman or something like that, you know, those types of things. Now, that's not to say that rejection breeds an increase in the risk that a man will sexually harass or you know victimize women i'm just saying that by and large you see a lot more of like men victimizing women out in the dating scene than women victimizing men not that it doesn't happen the other way around it's just much more likely to happen that way and so i i'll bet you that the majority of people who say dating online is unsafe would be women, and that makes sense. But I don't know. It doesn't say so in this article. Number nine, singles spend $146 per month on dating expenses. Wow, just this must not include dinners or going out to eat because you go out to eat just a couple times a month and you're going to eat that budget up. It's, and depending on where you go, a dinner might cost more than that, just one dinner. But let's read this. Uh, being single isn't always cheap, especially if you're actively exploring the dating world. Dating can involve a lot of weekly costs, including buying drinks for dinners out and paying for an online dating subscription. Sure, you can save money on a free dating site or app, and maybe your date will pay for you when you go out. Oh, that's true, because only one person is probably going to pay. So that, that, really, that really skews the data. But anyway, but looking your best still costs money and transportation isn't always cheap. You know, $146 per month on dating expenses seems super cheap to me. That just seems really cheap. That Okay, so that must take into account, obviously this is taking into account both men and women. And, you know, you a lot of times you'll see the guy will pay. So you have one person who it, it didn't cost them anything. But um, the the other person, it costs them 100%. But you also have like, see, you have like women, what if they associate like makeup and nice clothes and things like that with, if they're dating expensive expenses? Like that just seems incredibly cheap to me. I can't believe that number isn't higher because dating actually is an expensive ordeal. Even if you take measures to try to make it cheap, it's pretty expensive. All right, number 10. The average age for losing one's virginity is 17. The Center for Disease Control has done research into sexual activity in the U.S. in an effort to monitor the potential spread of STDs. Its annual reports indicate that the age a person engages in vaginal intercourse for the first time has not changed much over the last decade. 
Okay, okay. So a, a, the average age is 17. That's interesting because you also have to take into account that that means that roughly half the people, you know, are losing it before then, and then half the people are losing it after that. Um, I'll bet you, now this doesn't say anything about this, and I haven't really looked into this as much, but I'll bet you that um, if you looked at the at the data, you would find that men tend to lose their virginity uh, on average at an older age than women. That that seems to be how it usually goes. But um, 17 seems kind of high to me. I would have, I guess I would have maybe thought that it would be, the average would be a little bit lower than that. But it does make sense, you know, it does make sense. All right. Number 11, about one in eight millennials report being virgins at 26. Now, I actually talked about this um, in another podcast episode I just did not too long ago, but let me read about this. Millennials seem to be the waiting generation when it comes to dating. Not only are they waiting longer to get married than previous generations, but they're also waiting longer to have sex. A dating study of 16,000 people born between 1989 and 1990 found that 12.5% of participants reported that they had not had sex by the time they were 26. So that's one in eight people. And that is, okay, so that is not surprising to me because I've read that statistic before. And there are many different statistics about that. I'm not totally sure as to all of the factors that contribute to that and why that's the case I'm also not completely sure if that's a good or a bad thing, right? That's a very individual thing. Some people, if they're 26 years old and they're virgin, they might be very disappointed. They might be like, well, this sucks. I was hoping to be sexually active by now. I want to I wanna get, some, get some of that intimacy. I want to experience that. However, maybe for some people... That's not a problem. They just think, well, I'll get to it when I get to it. And there's no push in it, which is actually probably a better attitude about it. So I think that everyone, this is kind of, you know, individual. If you are still a virgin and it's bothering you, then it might be time to take measures to, you know, to go ahead and have the experience. Because keep in mind, sex is a social construct, right? And you know, not having sex and wanting to is a lot like watching people play basketball, but then not being able to play for some reason. It's like, if you want to play, watching people play, it'd make you really want to play. It would just be better if you could jump in and play the game rather than just talking yourself out of it or like trying to make yourself feel better about not being able to play because participation is just better unless you just don't want to participate in which case pressuring yourself to do it isn't the right thing right so it's kind of the same thing as that um there are a lot of benefits that come from sexual activity though and being intimate if you're doing it safely i'm i'm kind of um I'm, i kind of believe in those benefits i think they're super important but you know anyway this this statistic doesn't really surprise me All right, number 12. Tinder's casual daters have fewer privacy concerns. (laughs) This does not surprise me. Since 2012, Tinder has become the single most popular dating app in the world with over 400 million downloads and 55 billion matches to its name, and it's still growing. Uh, 
there's a study. I'm trying to scan through this real quick. The Tinder study found a stark difference between casual daters and serious daters in terms of their conscientiousness. Individuals on Tinder who use the app for hooking up have significantly lower privacy concerns than those who do not use it for hooking up. Oh, okay, I see. Um, so some people are more serious about wanting to find a relationship and some are on it to hook up. And for those who are just wanting to hook up, have casual sex, they're not as concerned with privacy. That makes sense to me. I, I feel like that makes sense to me. All right, number 13. Teens who don't date report feeling less depressed. This is interesting. The Journal of School Health talked to nearly 600 high school sophomore students to learn about the dating habits and attitudes of today's youth. The results portrayed a generally positive picture of non-dating students. Teenagers who reported that they did not date were less likely to show signs of depression than their dating peers. Non-dating students also received higher teacher ratings for leadership and social skills. You know, this is really interesting because I didn't date, really, when I was in high school. I I had one girlfriend when I was in high school for three months. And aside from that, I didn't date. I went on maybe two or three individual dates total through my entire high school experience until I met my wife, my ex-wife. You know, now I'm divorced, but, you know, I met her when I was older, you know, I and we were friends for a while. And when I say older, I think I was a senior in high school when I met her. So I went for the majority of my high school time without dating. And I was at, at the top of my class, nearly 4.0 student. Um, I had, I was always in student council. Like I was doing a lot of things. Um, and I didn't spend a lot of time dating. Now I wanted to. I really wanted to date, but I just wasn't good at it. <laughs> That's part, I talk about that all the time. That was part of the issue is that I just didn't know how to date. I didn't understand women. Women were a mystery to me, but I did do pretty good in school, and I had a good school experience, and my teachers probably would have said that I was a model student. So that's interesting. It doesn't surprise me. Number 14, jealousy and verbal conflict are tied to teen dating violence. This doesn't surprise me either, but this isn't a good thing. The National Institute of Justice recently published a detailed report on teen dating violence. It provides insight into how prevalent abusive relationships are in young adults and what factors contribute to negative and harmful behaviors in one's teenage years. Teens who report dating violence also report more controlling behaviors, jealousy, verbal conflict, the sexual non-exclusivity, cheating, or and sexual non-exclusivity, cheating, than teens who do not experience any form of dating violence. Okay, interesting. So here's the thing, and this is why I believe in what I do. I believe it's so important to learn how to vet partners because here's the thing, so many people, even when they're very young, even when they're teenagers, they date people and they don't understand what's healthy and what's not healthy. They don't maybe don't know what is a red flag or what isn't. And it's very easy to be taken advantage of when you don't know the rules of the game, which is why it's so important to have discussions about things like red flags in a relationship, like what behaviors are acceptable, how to walk away from an unhealthy situation, right? How to understand if someone is living in the beta mindset, because a lot of these kind of controlling, jealous type behaviors, these are all 
rooted in beta mentality, right? What is beta mentality? Reacting to the chaos, being controlled by your emotions. The alpha mentality, by contrast, dictates that we intentionally choose our destiny and that we take rational control of our lives and we pilot the ship in a good direction, right? So if more people understood this philosophy and they understood how to vet partners and they understood how to pick up on behavior, like behaviors that are problematic and that are most likely going to lead to bad outcomes, they would, there would probably be less opportunity for dating violence because people wouldn't date low value people. Now, I also think that that would probably push people to have a better conversation about what constitutes a high value person. And maybe more people would be striving to be high value. They wouldn't be controlled by their emotions. They wouldn't succumb to these dramatic things like, you know, lashing out over jealousy, you know, cheating on each other all the time, getting, getting aggressive and violent and angry about these things. Right. Uh, these are low value behaviors. These are not high value behaviors. And, it is so important that we learn how to identify low value behavior and then vet it out of our lives. That we also learn tools for how to vet people like that out of our lives and walk away from them, cut them out, and not let them creep in, creep back in and take advantage of us or, you know, monopolize our time or energy. These things are not easy to do. These are some of the skills that I help to teach my clients how to do. And to be honest, it would be better if we all learned these things when we were teenagers. Oftentimes, though, unfortunately, we don't learn them until later in life. Sometimes people have to go through a failed marriage or two to really learn. And that's costly, man. It's very sad that it has to be that way. One of my big goals and big dreams is to try to create a curriculum that can help young people learn about these things, uh, you know, that maybe could be used in school or something. Now that's probably years down the road before I work on developing something like that. But I believe in it. I believe that if people can understand how to have a good dating life and how to actually have good relationships, it can absolutely make a huge positive difference in every other area of life. This is, I believe in this so much. I live and die on that hill. I think it's a hundred percent true. And people who suffer and don't know how to have a productive, positive dating life, they're going to suffer for it. So it really matters. All right, let's move on. Number 15, over 80% of women have experienced sexual harassment. So, this doesn't surprise me either. Um, you know, it's true that women are more vulnerable to being victimized in all kinds of ways. And sexual harassment is another one. Generally speaking, it's usually men who do the sexual harassing. I mean, women can do it. There's also like a stereotype where, you know, people might say things like, well, if women sexually harass men, generally men like it. So that's not really harassment. There's also like a stereotype that says women only call it sexual harassment if it's an ugly guy. If it's a good looking guy, they call it flirting, right? So it's like, you know, what we really have to do though, what we have to do is we have to learn how to interact with people in ways that are socially acceptable, right? You, 
if you're just out here saying vulgar things, this is low value behavior. There's a way to flirt without coming off as being harassing. There's a way to flirt where you can be above reproach and the other person can't turn it around and call you like a, a pervert and can't say that you sexually harassed them. Why? Because even though you're flirting, you're doing it in a respectful way. And when I say respectful, I don't mean that you're tiptoeing around everything and being bland, you know, just being super bland and boring. I just mean that it's in all of our best interests to learn to have a bit of social grace and to take smaller risks than to take the big risk of like saying something vulgar or doing something crazy. So it yeah, I'm not surprised that so many women have experienced sexual harassment because a lot of men don't know how to flirt with women uh, without running a huge risk of you know being called out for harassment. Because honestly, like some of the things guys say to women, they're they're not very they're very low value things. I mean, I coach women, and I absolutely have an inside view on this. I've also talked to a lot of women about this issue, and. It is true. The vast majority of men, they could really benefit from learning how to improve their flirting skills so that they can do so and and they can come off better, you know, so they don't come off as just being this creepy guy who's just focused on the vagina, right? So it, it matters, it matters. All right, number 16, about one in four daters admit to having revenge sex. This is spicy. Revenge sex is a way of getting back at a current partner or an ex by becoming intimate with another person. It could be an eye for an eye situation, as in he cheated on her, so now she's cheating on him, or it could be more about emotional validation or sexual frustration. <laughs> That's funny. One in four daters admit to having revenge sex. That I'm not surprised by that. Um, if you read the book, Why Women Have Sex by Cindy Meston and David Buss, they talk about revenge sex in that book, and it's, it's very interesting. It's very, very spicy. All right, number 17. Singles who use the word love are more successful. That's very interesting. Plenty of Fish has been on the in the online dating industry since 20 or 2003, and it has provided some good insights into what makes a match last. One of its most interesting studies discussed dissected the word choice in over 1 million dating profiles to see which words prove most successful. The, the research shows the relationship-oriented words such as love, heart, children, and romantic were among the most promising for serious daters. Interest-based words such as travel, music, dinner, and humor were also among the top results. Plus, women who used the word relationship in their dating profile were shown to be 16% more likely to get into a relationship than other users. Interesting. You know, I feel like this, this just goes back to being authentic and being honest about what you want. I think if you want love and you want a relationship and you want to have children, then you should say it. And, and this should be something you say on the very first date. The very first thing you should ask the other person is, so tell me about your dating history. You know, tell me what kind of relationships you've been in. Like, give me the 411. I'm ready for a story, right? And then when they get done, you share yours. Then you say, so what are you looking for? 
You know what? Tell me what you're looking for. And then what they share and then you share exactly what you're looking for. You hardball them. In other words, you be very honest and specific about what you want and what you're looking for. Very specific, right? And then you can right away see if the two of you might be compatible. This is so useful. And I think that this is, I think that this is part of that conversation, right? All right. Number 18. Online swiping and messaging increased during COVID. Well, I feel like that's kind of a no-brainer. Number 19, more online dating leads to more interracial marriage. Uh, This is super interesting, and this makes a lot of sense. See, the thing is, is when we date, we tend to date within our social circles, right? Well, this means that, you know, if we're dating in the real world, if we're not expanding our social circles into different social groups, then we're probably going to be dating within our same group slash community slash cultural group, etc. So one thing about online dating is that it really widens the net and it exposes you to individuals in many different diverse social groups, cultural groups, and communities. So it would make sense that it would lead to more interracial marriage because what you have is you have people who may not ever normally run into each other matching in an online dating context, right? And that can lead obviously to love, romance, getting and getting married and starting family. Uh, see, it's interesting to know there are some good things about online dating. I know I'm critical of it a lot, but here's what I don't want. I don't want people to use online dating as a crutch because they haven't built their value. You have to still be building your value. You still have to be working on yourself, mind your business, getting your money, pursuing your purpose in life, leveling up mind, body, and spirit, and also expanding your social circles in real life, having real life adventures with real people. And then use online dating to supplement that, right? Online dating is here to stay. I'm I'm not of the mind that we should just stop using it. However, I do believe that far too many people use it as a crutch and a substitute for actually going out into the real world and having adventures. So as long as you are still doing that, online dating has its usefulness. And like this statistic shows, there's some really cool things that can come about as a result of it. For example, expanding your dating pool to people who you may not ever otherwise meet. That's cool. That's a super cool thing, right? That's one of the good things about dating apps. All right. Number 20, LGBTQ plus people use dating apps more frequently. Uh, The Pew Research Center broke down American online dating usage by age, education, gender, race, and sexual orientation and found that by far the highest usage was among lesbian, gay, and bisexual adults. The study reported that 55% of LGB people said they had tried online dating, while only 30% of all U.S. adults said the same. You know, this makes sense to me because here's the thing. If you are in the LGBTQ plus community and you are trying to meet people to date, you know, if you go to the grocery store, if you go to the library, if you're going to a festival or a show or anywhere where you might meet other people, here's the thing. You can absolutely meet people in real life. However, when you walk up to the average person at Whole Foods or you walk up to the average person at the library or the bookstore or the music store or whatever and you engage them in a conversation, the odds of them 
being in your specific LGBTQ plus orientation is going to be less than, you know, it would be if you were in a context where people from that community were specifically spending time there. Okay, so it's sort of like like a numbers game. And when it comes to online dating, you can actually very specifically kind of tailor your search to look for people who have like LGBTQ plus tags in their dating profiles where they have, you know, explicitly kind of like change their orientation to match the orientation of the people you're looking for, etc. that kind of thing. So this makes sense to me. And this is another good thing about dating apps is that, you know, if you're dating in any kind of like community that is a little bit more specific, where you're just less likely to encounter someone who matches your preferences and your orientation, then it really helps to be able to kind of like narrow down your options because it'll be more efficient that way, right? To narrow them down to look for the people you're specifically looking for. So that's not surprising to me. And and, and it's actually probably a pretty efficient use of time. Now, with that being said, what I would also say is I would still like to see people in the LGBTQ plus community going out and meeting people in the real world and introducing themselves to people at Whole Foods. I I think that's good for everyone. However, I can also see how the the increased efficiency of finding people who fit more specifically within your preferences, community, and orientation could be like you know, an attractive benefit to apps. And it is an attractive benefit. It is. It's kind of like if you're specifically looking to date someone who's like more, for example, liberal or conservative, or even if you're kind of more specifically looking for someone in a particular age range, because you can filter by age. The only thing about that is that, you know, you can also filter people by age when you go out and try to meet people in real life. But, you know, people's orientation isn't so obvious as their age might be you you know you you can kind of roughly gauge if someone is going to be a certain age if you see them at whole foods but the same isn't necessarily true of their orientation right but anyway it's just another interesting tidbit and i'm not surprised by it all right let's move on number 21 singles spend under two minutes looking at a dating profile and this is the last one um it's been under two minutes see this is interesting because for me um i find that i spend much less than two minutes looking at most dating profiles here's what the statistics say women in the study spent an average of 84 seconds viewing each dating profile while men in the study spent an average of 58 seconds that's almost a minute i when i'm on a dating app i do not spend one minute on the profile i look at her picture if i like it i swipe right on it if i don't i swipe left and then if i match with her then i read her profile right um it's just much more time efficient now it's actually in a woman's better interest to read more thoroughly in the um in the profiles because you know it's much 
like women get a lot more matches than men do. So men are kind of like, what they generally do is they kind of just swipe right on every attractive girl. And then, you know, if they match with her, they see if they might be compatible. This is something I've observed in, in a lot of different men I've talked to. And women, I think, are more selective about who they actually swipe on because they're so much more likely to get an actual match. Whereas men, if they spend too much time reading through each profile and then choosing to swipe left or right, like a lot of that will be for nothing because a lot of men don't get very many matches at all. Like, you know, like the, there's some crazy statistics about, about like how a very small minority of men at the top of the hierarchy basically monopolize most of the matches on dating apps. And then most other men get either very few or zero matches. Like I've known people who struggle, they'll use dating apps like all the time and they will struggle to get just like one or two matches per week. Whereas when I was on dating apps, I would, I mean, I got like more matches than I could even handle and messages and blah. See, I was very, very um, successful on dating apps when I was using them, but a lot of men don't have that experience. A lot of men, they, a lot of men may not even get one match. There's a certain percentage of men who will not even get a single match. So it's a much different experience for men than it is for women. All right. That's going to wrap up this episode. Once again, this article, which was written by Amber Brooks, is going to be shared down in the description. So give it a check and read through it to get a little more information. And uh, yeah, it's really awesome. Great job, Amber Brooks. I doubt she'll ever listen to this, but in case she ever does, great job on the article. And um, I think that these kinds of statistics are cool because they kind of show us what's going on and they help us to compile some data that we can use to kind of gauge how things are going on the dating marketplace and then how we can leverage ourselves to a better position within that marketplace because it is a competitive marketplace and it's in our best interest to leverage ourselves as best we can. So learning as much as possible is important to that because with knowledge, you can have a better understanding of what's actually going on. And then you can make a strategy that's actually effective based on the data rather than maybe a strategy that isn't working, right? All right, it's going to be it for this one. Go with grace, my friends. Never give up your power. This is Josh Segafis signing off. Thank you for listening. Make sure to visit www.joshuasegafis.com. Catch you on the flip side. 